What's going on, everyone? You are listening to the Modern Markets Podcast, brought to you by FOMOHUD, where we discuss topics ranging from world banking to decentralized platforms. So sit back and enjoy, because you're going to learn today. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Modern Markets Podcast, presented by FOMOHUNT, brought to you by Cal Toro and your host, Titan Inc. And now the summary for today's episode. On today's episode, we have a very special guest, Mr. Joe Rhodes, the CEO of Dragon Chain, where his background comes from, the disconnection from Disney, rumors that spread around Dragon Chain, the hybrid technology that goes into Dragon Chain tech, and so much more. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's go ahead and dive right into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast. And today we have a special guest on this episode. We have the CEO of Dragon Chain, Joe Rotes. He's going to talk a little bit about himself, and then we're just going to go ahead and dive into some of the questions I have for him. So, Joe, if you would go ahead and just dive in. Yes, yes. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is great. Absolutely. Been a fan for a long time. So, thank you very much, sir. So, so I've um, I'm I'm basically uh, what you would considered to be a longtime software architect, software guy. Yeah, so I came from that angle into the crypto world, which I think is uh, notably different and a good thing. And so over 25 years, that's been my role. And I, I would tend to focus on security and scalability and big systems. You know, the, I, I had what fun I could have with boring things, trying to make things work and, and everything. And one way or another in 2010, one of my guys brought in uh, the white paper with Satoshi, and you know, said we really, we really need to look at this. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll read his weekend, right? And uh, it, it blew my mind. It was, you know, everything in there uh, already existed, but the way that it was arranged was beautiful, brilliant, genius. And I immediately started to see things that we could do in our work that, you know, with with this tech, that it's a different way uh, of looking at trust and you know, consensus for big systems. And so we started building anything we could started. And this is in 2010 started building, you know, stupid stuff, you know, stuff that never went anywhere, stuff that actually bore a little fruit. Um, and uh, after a while I ended up uh, seeing what was going on uh, with a couple of other groups and uh, reached out and joined up as an advisor, uh, the guys at project Medici. Um, I wasn't there very long before the whole team moved what was Symbiont. And then I ended up getting a call from Disney and, you know, we had family in the Seattle area. So we thought, okay, we'll move up there. Um, and it was extremely interesting because up to that point, everything that I'd been wanting to do and trying to do was too hard with some of these other projects because they were focused on such a small area, you know, very niche angle uh, because they're startups and this is the funding, this is what we're building. And so when Disney called, I was like, well, yeah, sure, because I, I knew there were all these different things we could try. And uh, so I, I, I went there in 2014. We built what was at the time called the Disney private blockchain platform. And in 2016, we were able to get it out the door as open source. Um, and we had to change the name and that's where Dragon Chain came up. And um, and we realized what we needed to do because you know, everything we were focused on uh, at at Disney was uh, providing business value, flexibility, yet leveraging this technology. And the architecture is really interesting for that reason because it's uh, remarkably scalable. You can do things that you can't do on other blockchain platforms because uh, it is hybrid. And 
also do things that you can't do on other other platforms or with other with a normal team because we um, given that it is hybrid, we have a uh, a Docker and Kubernetes based, so you can write smart contracts in any language at all. Um, so there are a lot of really neat things about it, and uh, that's where we're at now. So hopefully that was a good answer to the question. That was a great answer, actually. I think a lot of people know about the Disney connection, but they may not necessarily know the entire background. So is Disney still using this tech to this day, or are they using like a different version of the hybrid blockchain tech? Um, I don't know. Uh, and I, I will tell you, it's, it's interesting because um, when we open sourced it, uh, Disney has a fork, uh, maintained fork from our original open source uh, a, a code base release, and when we stepped out, I made a uh, a, a very um, how do I say this? I, I basically set for myself that I'm not going to try to reach back because at the time, you know, and, and given you know uh, how we were commercializing it and the fact that uh, blockchain is, and in particular cryptocurrency, is notoriously uh, rough on the uh, the trolling and the social, and you you know you combine Disney to that, and um, I didn't want to cause any troubles with uh, our relationship, so I did not reach back in, and so I don't know what has continued, what has not. You know, we uh, obviously had some had uh, some systems running when when uh, it went out the door, and then when I left, but uh, I've tried to remain as neutral and hands-off as possible. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. I mean, like you said, the crypto industry is is a very interesting industry. It's very broad and filled with crypto anarchists or just anarchists in general. So probably a good move there. So I want to talk about hybrid blockchain tech. I've done a couple of videos on Dragon Chain before. I know you know about those videos and I've dug in deep to Dragon Chain. And I personally believe that hybrid blockchain tech is going to be the future. It's going to be the standard for blockchain server procedures. So if you would just go ahead and explain in depth, what is hybrid blockchain technology? Right. Um, and if, if you're okay, I'll, I'll, and this hopefully this won't be too long, but the way that it's easiest to understand, at least in my opinion, when I've, when I've explained it to people is that Bitcoin uh, is out there and you think about it, especially around 2014, uh, Bitcoin is an amazing technology and there are a lot of, uh, very interesting and historically significant reasons that it is in a position that it was at the time and still is now. Um, and they had notable scaling issues, both with lock size mm -hmm. and with a uh, number of transactions per second, things like that. And we, we all uh, watched the ridiculous uh, drama and controversy at that time with that question. Then you consider Ethereum coming out. And Ethereum is a very noble and genius system that build out the people that are that are on the team are remarkable. They're you know they're genius, and it was put out there uh, from the point of view of you know I'm a, I'm a blockchain person and I, I what's the next step? It is a you know Turing complete blockchain, a, a world computer, right? And that's brilliant and it's beautiful, but the problem is you expose everything, and um, I have some really interesting angles on the reality of that architecture that go against the grain of what is naturally uh, already out there and, and what, how do I say this, the way that systems are built, you know, best practices and the things that we know. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it does mean that it's 
very hard to integrate on top of the fact because uh, these are public blockchains and they are singular decentralized public blockchains. It means that if I, as a business, put information on that blockchain, I have to be extremely careful if it's my customer's information, if it's uh, PII, if it's uh, financial, if it's health info, and I can't do it, right? I mean, it's it's the, you know, you you would uh, literally get in a lot of trouble if you did that. And uh, even if I encrypt it, it's not safe enough because in 10 years that encryption can break. Even if I obfuscate it, if I, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to hold the data here on my local systems, but I'm going to put it on chain. And now that uh, obfuscated data at some point, and, you know, we know this from other systems that anyone who is sufficiently interested in what that data is, is going to be able to tie certain things together that, you know, okay, these, this number of transactions happened. I can tell you that is company X. Why do I know that? And, you know, there are a whole bunch of other things that, that cause problems. So none of that was possible if you're talking about sensitive data and you're talking about a, a company like Disney. And so the next obvious uh, thing that happened in the world, and this mostly happened with IBM and Microsoft realizing we can sell this to the banks. The banks are interested in crypto for obvious reasons, um, you know, and uh, yet they will never sign on to a public blockchain. So Hyperledger, R3Corda, right, and there were, you know, some others, but private blockchains, right? And then you have the, the public blockchain people saying that's totally worthless, which isn't true. Right, it loses an extremely large amount of the value that you right. get from blockchain. It is not valueless, though. You know, there is there is still some value to it for a bunch of different reasons. And um, and I can tell you this pre-crypto, it's the same type of thing, and uh, more about uh, the the way data is structured. So all of those were seen to me, and I'm and I'm an architect, and everything that I deal with is uh, about structure. That is, if you have a system and you structure it in a certain way, you can not only roll it out faster, but you can save millions of dollars building it. You can save a ton of money with its uh, operations. That is, if it's structured well, and that's, you know, after a couple of decades of doing nothing but that, uh, I got really good at recognizing where breaking points were and where you should abstract something that there might be better or different solutions in the future, stuff like that. It's, It's all kind of boring, but it's really interesting when you step back and see how any system is built. And so that's why most of my life, you know, when I when I worked at Disney and, and when we went to Disney, I couldn't stand it because so much of the stuff that they, that they had built, was like, why did you guys do that? That doesn't even make any sense. Um, anyway, so it's not a joy to go to someplace like that with me, but whatever. Anyway, uh, outrolled uh, Dragon Chain, and, and basically it started with, okay, we know that we have to protect this data. So we, uh, you know, I laid out all the goals uh, which you can still see um, there in the architecture document from 2016. And when I put those together, they were very philosophically driven. They weren't driven by the technology itself. They weren't bit driven by, you know, uh, me being a coder. They were driven, and they weren't even driven solely from business. They were driven very much, you know, here's the technology, here's the value, and here's what we should be doing with this. And, uh, you know, so we had protection of, of uh, business data, protection of business operations, uh, that is not the data, but the, the actual processing or the workflow, which is often proprietary. And and then you have things like flexibility and standards and, you know, a number of other ones. And so it was really interesting because, because we had laid these things out when we would get a question that was very technical or, or 
came from a political angle. We were able to go back and look at that philosophy and know, oh, we should build it this way, right? I mean, it's, it's very obvious because we have, we're always going to have choices, but if we know what the goals are and the philosophy, it, it changes everything and it makes everything simpler. And so when we put it together, you know, one of the ways we decided to do that was to make every single node have its own chain, right? So you don't have a single chain that you're fighting over the placement of blocks because you think about it, if, if we had a goal and we, we did uh, to have a short block time, that, and I had some, some particular challenges that I wanted to build that we did on uh, fixed block length instead of having a variable proof of work uh, based uh, random, you know, we don't know how long it, the block will take to build. And so when we put all this together, um, every single node, including the, the nodes that only do verification, has their own chain. And every single node is independently charged from a different context. You know, the, the business node is doing business, and that's you know, all custom depending on who's running that node. The validation nodes are validating the transactions to make sure that they're correct form and all the you know, signatures are correct, simple stuff. The diversity nodes are checking that the validations come from a diverse set of nodes. So that it isn't just like say in, in a case back then at Disney that it was we had to worry that one business unit could potentially be validating its own transactions and it really didn't help the uh, the network. The other context was a notary just to say, look, I I'm a registered identity, you know, ideally from a company or you know a, an accounting firm or something, and I saw and cryptographically signed this hash at this time, and that's all that matters, and it's a chain of those, um, and then. The most important one that uh, you know we brought into a meeting with some pretty high-level people, and I had explained to them the reasoning for uh, tapping into a public chain, and I was basically requesting that we could set up a, a Bitcoin node and would be approved to uh, you know actually purchase t transactions on the Bitcoin node in order to, to integrate with it, and they gave a thumbs up, and uh, so we did that and. We actually delivered that in 2016, and that was the, the top tier, right? That is, if you consider that on one end, I have a uh, what is a mostly centralized, mostly private chain that is my business, and I go through all of these other tiers that are exceedingly decentralized, and then I end up at a, a tier that is on, on a public blockchain. So that means every single transaction that I put on chain is within seconds decentralized, but not decentralized to the level of Bitcoin. But within uh, min, you know, but within minutes or, or hours is tied into Bitcoin. And that was, at that time especially, it was hard to describe to people. We were in the W3C group, but it, it started to formulate what we realized when we launched the commercial network because what it really focuses on is time itself that, uh, you know, even Bitcoin, if you go to the core of it, it uses, you know, its utility. Um, and I do think of a utility token uh, myself, right. uh, at least uh, if you had to classify it, that its utility is, and it depends on what year you're talking and who you're talking to, but it's either decentralized peer-to-peer -peer cash and or uh, a store of value. Okay. And yet, that is just the utility. The actual tech itself is using
using proof of work in Bitcoin's case to prove to anyone in the future that this transaction happened within this block, within these two points in time. And that, that's interesting because before, before this, I mean, the standard way to say, um, what's today's date? Uh, I'm going to write it down and I'm going to put, you know, for Reddit, this is really me. This is, you know, a, a date and a picture. Or to hold up a newspaper clipping where it's, okay, it would cost you quite a bit to fake the New York Times on that date, right? And yet that was the way. And, and still, though, you couldn't put an end time on it, so you couldn't, or like, say, use that to order transactions because I could, I could rearrange them after the fact and give you new pictures, right? And so what we, you know, what we were then doing is basically finding a way and building a way to tap into a public chain while protecting your business data and the process that you're doing, you know, your smart contracts, uh, your business process, and to tap, the, to tap that into Bitcoin in a scalable way, right? That it wasn't just taking, you know, because anybody can take a transaction and throw it into Bitcoin. So what we wanted to do was provide a lot more uh, flexibility, which, you know, after we, after we rolled out the commercial environment, uh, after I left Disney, we tapped into Ethereum on top of Bitcoin and Ethereum Classic and Neo, and we've since added Binance, and we're about to add another. And the interesting thing is that uh, at that level, it becomes uh, philosophically all about diversity of algorithms. That Bitcoin has a different hashing algorithm than Ethereum. Um, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic have different uh, network economies, philosophies. Lightly, and and we're still big a fan of both. And then Neo we had because it was staking, and we actually uh, let it go dormant because we had trouble maintaining the the code base. And we turned on Binance a few months back, and we're about to turn on another one that's a good utility network. So the interesting thing there for security is that if one of them goes down, the others are still there. And we had uh, Ethereum Classic 51% attack. It didn't affect us at all. I mean, it, it dropped our uh, you know, we don't have Ethereum Classic for the hash power anyway. You know, we have it for the different network. And it's an interesting thing because we are already quantum resistant for a, a number of different reasons. Um, and that's a hard thing to define, really. Yeah, quantum resistance is a really big topic in cryptocurrency. And it's a really big topic surrounding Bitcoin. So already being able to address that is pretty awesome. Right, right. And and our, our end goal is to add more quantum resistance chains. To, the, to our network so we have protection from all angles that that's the the intent that we don't want to assume that you're going to you know go an ibm's hyperledger style consortium based network um because that's so expensive and i don't even know how you would ever do it myself so much politics there between companies but we also don't you know you uh you know what ethereum has and uh most uh single chain public blockchains is that the network's already there, right? Um, and so with the hybrid, we had to, you know, we had to figure a way, a way around that. And we found some. It's probably the most significant um, uh, thing that we have delivered, but it's also one of the hardest things to understand. What we've already talked about was the interchain. You know, we solidly put that in place, and I think we've had—I can't remember the numbers. It was somewhere near twenty thousand uh, interchain transactions on the security side, on the network side so far. And we don't know how many custom, you know, business node uh, interchain transactions there have been because we don't, we don't uh, track that. So anyway. 
So I want to go ahead and just summarize what hybrid blockchain technology is for all the listeners. Basically, what you can do with this tech is you can take a local node, a node being a server in a business environment, and you can take information from that local node and you can take it through a five layer encryption process so it encrypts the information that you put on this node to finally reach a public chain now those public chains are obviously going to be like bitcoin ethereum and any other chain that dragon chain can interchain with so by doing this you can address a couple of problems and for example if a company decided to simply go with ethereum classic as their recommended public chain well you can't address a lot of the problems we just discussed like scalability encryption etc and then also on top of that if ethereum classic was to be 51% attacked like it was and for those who are listening who may not know what a 51% attack is essentially it's the blockchain's version of a hack where if you have enough computing power you can essentially take over the blockchain for a certain amount of time depending on how expensive it is to uh, take over that computing power and you can essentially rewrite blocks or rewrite information on that blockchain so obviously that's not a good idea it's not uh, it's not cool because if you were able to do that with any other blockchain that you're using, the information that you save to that blockchain could be rewritten or changed in some form or fashion, which obviously negates the purpose of what the blockchain is for in the first place. So this is why hybrid blockchain technology is very, very important. You don't have to use any specific blockchain and you can keep all your information on a local node and it just works. So hopefully I gave a little good summary about that. Yeah, I think in, in summary, it is that it's, it's all about the ability to actually scale the way that your staff, you know, you have DevOps staff, they already know how to scale a system that this gives you all the powers that you would have. You know, you could run a telco system, but at the same time, you know, leveraging that, that the, the public blockchains and aggregating, if you can, that, you know, it's not just Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin and Ethereum. It, it is also about just being able to get transactions on chain. That is, you have to think scaling is one thing, security is, a one, is another. When you're just trying to get business done and you have a transaction, there are two angles on, on a public chain that, uh, that we can counter on, on a hybrid chain. And that is, the, the first is fee. That is, if you have uh, CryptoKitties 3.0 come out and it just blows up the network, you know, or in, in the days of uh, ICOs, you know, that you would have... <laughs> the Ethereum fees going up uh, radically, right? Um, and that's not even the worst of it. The worst of it is during those peaks that you a lot of times couldn't get a transaction on chain. It's crazy. You had to know what you were doing. Uh, and so businesses don't, don't want to deal with that. And so with a hybrid chain, you can uh, effectively, and we had cases of this even with Disney, with like say the cruise ships, where we knew they'd be disconnected from the network, Right that your business can keep going on, right? And it's it's your business and it's your node and you already trust it. So it's it's not like you are having to worry about trusting someone else's transactions on your on your node. And so it's it's a it's a beautiful thing because they are actually independent. You know, you could run any one of them on their own for as long as you needed until it needed to sync back up. So that's a huge piece there. I was just about to say, being able to take your node off of the public blockchain at any point in time, or if the node just goes down, or if the public blockchain just goes down in general, being able to resynchronize with the public blockchain at any point you know, from your private node is easy to do, and it's it's very safe to do. So whereas like directly connecting to the public blockchain may be a really bad idea. So I like that. 
Sweet. So now I'm going to ask you some questions on Rainmaker and Dragon Den. These are two platforms that you're working with and on. Could you explain more about how these platforms work? I know that there's an uncensorable factor there for those platforms. So if you would just go ahead and dive right into those platforms and what they offer and what they do. Yes. Okay. So Den is, um, and it's, this is it, very philosophical as well. You know, we've seen the problems that uh, that you have on Telegram, that you have on Twitter, that you have everywhere else. You know, there's fake news. There's tons of fud. There's there's a lot of trolling, um, and some of it is you know it's just human nature. It's it's culture. But back uh, it would have been in you know sometime in 2018, I had mentioned to to some people on Telegram that I you know I really wished that we could integrate something that would you know make it a crypto aware. Form. It wouldn't have to be crypto. It wouldn't be payments based, you know, but it would be just where we could see, you know, you could prove that you held dragons, right? If you could prove that you were that you were holding dragons, it would mean um, that it would be it would be kind of hard if you're a troll to be like, well, I'm going to go buy that token that I hate just so I can go troll them. That's funny, right? Yeah. And when when we had, uh, if you remember back then, it was Dragon Days of Slumber Score, right? Now it's time that we were going to tie something. And we originally thought, okay, we could we could definitely do it inside a Telegram with a bot where if your time dropped below, below a certain level, you couldn't post anymore, <laughs> right? If, if you totally... Uh, sold off, then, you know, yeah, you can't, maybe, maybe uh, you know, you're totally out of the group if it was one of the special groups. And we knew that would at least somewhat curtail some of the trolling. And, and when I say some of the trolling, I'm not, like, say, you know, a lot of people say that uh, the projects call out anything as FUD. And, and it isn't that because, you know, there is a difference that oftentimes people who, who are solely and completely disinterested and completely hate our project, yet for some reason, stick around and keep bitching about it. I, it's just the re- most ridiculous thing in the world, and there's something else there. Would be a very interesting psychological study. Yeah, yeah, well, and I think a lot of it is paid too. There, there's definitely a lot of uh, it's either paid or I have a self, I have self-interest because there's a competing project or mm. who, who knows what. It's extremely yeah. tribal. I mean, I've, I've compared. Uh, in fact, in Seattle, the crypto world um, is like basically uh, Renaissance Italy. Right, we're in one of the families, and you get ready to be stabbed, literally stabbed in the back. It's not, it's not a pleasant place to do business, especially in crypto. So either way, we had all that going on, and someone, re, you know, one of the, one of the guys in the group said, "I'd love to work on that." It was, you know, super interesting to him. So he said, "Well, let's talk." So we ended up hiring him. We ended up going down one route, which was we cut back because it was way too complex. There would have been some pretty radically interesting features, but we decided to pull back on that because it was just way too hard to get people to understand. And uh, one way or another, though, we uh, we do mining. So everything is focused on, uh, number one, content creators. So you, you want to incentivize good content, right? The problem with that is it's not just, oh, that's good content. It is number one uh, the evaluation of the content, and number two the ability to, with as little info as you have, to make the best judgment as to the quality of that post as to uh, uh, as evaluated within a community. So we, you know, we we didn't keep it like Twitter where everything's together and you can separate by hashtags. We kept more to a Reddit structure where this is a uh, community interest group, basically forum where you know these people are interested in mechanical keyboards so 
they develop their own culture. You know, it might be a big uh, a group. It might be a small group. It might be extremely, you know, the uh, toxic and it might be very uh, professional, right? So every group with its own culture and its own guidelines evaluates content as it comes in. And so we had not only, though, to uh, reward and incentivize the content creator, but we had to incentivize the content evaluator to basically be rewarded for the best choice earliest, right? So if I, if I look at brand new content and I might have, you know, in a, in a certain group, a, a three-quarter rate of it being total fluff or worthless, but occasionally it'll be a nugget and I can evaluate, oh, you know, should I put, how much of my energy should I put into that? Uh, and rather than just voting that on Reddit, it's, it, it's nearly meaningless because if you're in a group that is very cohesive, you're going to vote up almost every post. Yeah, or vote down. Yeah. We, we can't really evaluate. You voted all five of these up, but which one was the, the best? All we know is that it's, it's up. And so you have to get more aggregate uh, people in. And so we take the two different measures, that is how many people voted up and how many people voted down, as opposed, and we, we take that into a, uh, account, uh, a whole bunch of different things for trending uh, items. But then we also take into account how much actual energy you put in to each one because you can, for every time you click it, it goes up one Fibonacci number. So you can very quickly vote, you know, hundreds or thousands, but you are basically betting your energy that that thing, that that uh, post or, or reply will go viral. And, you know, the higher you vote it, the more likely someone will see it, but you might be throwing away your energy. And then the, the last is uh, we wanted to incentivize the community owners, that is the people who set up the groups, the people who manage them, find people to help out, you know, uh, sometimes go and, and either pay for or get volunteers or write their own content, right? Those people need to be rewarded so they, they get a cut of everything that goes through their lair. And all of that was was built around basically for a normal user who does not care a lick about crypto, doesn't care about anything that we just described or how the economy works. All they care, and they don't even ever want to have an account or even vote, that the real focus is to get content fastest that to their eyes is better quality than somewhere else. That, that's all it is. And so all of that economy is focused on that goal. Okay, And then we have other things that that found their way into the economy, like layer ownership. So a layer is, is like what the subreddit is in Reddit, where that's the community and it's, you know, it's dragons, so it's called a layer. Inside of that community, uh, you have what is literal community ownership of that layer. They, that in order to have a moderator in it, they have to have a piece of the ownership. So you know that they're a little more committed. Yeah, incentivized. Yeah, yep. And... We, we have a process where instead of just saying, look, anybody can come in and create uh, a new layer and, and you end up invading the entire space of words that you can use to describe a layer. Rather than doing that, we decided to go with a process where we open up new layers every month and anybody who wants to can propose. And let's say because we've had uh, so many more users this month, we're going to add, uh, let's say, 10 new layers. And... Anybody then can propose, hey, I think we should have a skateboarding layer. Somebody else thinks, you know, we should have a, you know, a typewriters layer or, uh, you know, something to do with, you know, some niche uh, entertainment. And 
they make a case, they make a proposal, they might have other people that are going to come in and take ownership as well. But the great thing is everybody then votes, but they vote with a token that the utility is only to create new layers. So they, they basically buy, or if they're in one of our betas or anything, they would have some, and it's called lore. <laughs> it's a layer ownership right token. And uh, lore can be basically applied and say, you know, you're, you're uh, proposing the, the funny cat gifts uh, layer uh, to kind of mimic what Reddit has, right? And maybe even propose to have a poll from whatever's trending on Reddit, you know? Good content. I, and I think, okay, uh, you know, you say it's good content, whatever. Um, but I think, it's like, well, that layer is probably going to be worth, you know, worth the time because it'll be very active. Quality or not, who cares? It'll be very active. That I'm going to put a thousand lore on that. So now everybody in the process, if at the end of the week or whatever of the voting, that the whole thing gets cut off and the top 10 layers are declared and anyone who had put lore on them will get one layer ownership token a lot. So if I had a, I put in a thousand lore on that and it's one of the top 10, so I get a thousand lots. So now I own a percentage of the management of that layer and I can now get a, um, I think it's a 5% cut of uh, all of the mining every day goes to the layers through which content is either posted or uh, trending, you know, that's it's voted up, that uh, all of that energy is funneled through. And, you know, if we have 10% of all of uh, the activity in the entire system, we're going to get 10% of that share, and we will split it proportional according to lot of the matter. And so that matter, by the way, is the, the mind token. And so we have energy and matter. And there's an interesting relationship that, how, you know, how do you get energy, all that, it comes out of uh, your matter. So The naming system you guys have is just incredible. You have lore, you have lair, you have den, you have time, you have energy, you have matter. I mean, you guys are just top notch when it comes to, to naming everything. Sometimes it takes us a while. Well, I want to take a step back and talk about internet censorship. It's a very big topic. It has been for some time, and it's not going away. In fact, it's just getting even more insane as time goes on. So an example of that type of censorship is Susan Wachicki, if that's how you say your name, the CEO of YouTube, is now receiving guidelines from the World Health Organization which for those that aren't very aware of the whose interactions or background, they are very China-centric. We'll just leave it at that. And essentially, they are starting to give guidelines to YouTube on what videos are okay as far as medicine is concerned. So for example, vitamin C and turmeric are now being considered as miracle cures. So they are essentially you know, removing all natural cures that have been used to build up and boost immunity for thousands of years and basically obviously recommending pharmaceutical drugs which you know some people don't agree with obviously so don't it doesn't really matter what you agree with because youtube is essentially getting those guidelines from the who and it's a centralized source and if you wanted to get information on natural cures which we obviously know work, that is too bad. It's now being considered taboo. It's being considered a miracle cure. So another thing I wanted to talk about 
is the uh, Eternal tool, uh, Dragon Chain tool that I actually used recently to save some information from a, a data leak that happened recently where there was, uh, there was a couple of different foundations. There was Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, CDC, World Health Organization, email, password, data leak type information and I wanted to eternally save that information and by the way it's not a crime to hold this information or even read the information so no matter what they tell you it is not a crime to hold that type of information or even read through it and it's certainly not a crime to save it in the blockchain so for anybody wondering about that that's that's how that works so explain more in depth about like how the eternal dragon chain tool works and how you can save information very easily to the blockchain for us. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, it's sometimes it's hard for me to describe the, there are very subtle differences between DEN and, you know, in, in goal, between DEN and eternal, right? Right. Um, yeah, DEN is very much for social communication. And, uh, and yes, I mean, I, I just went through the entire economy and I didn't touch upon the fact that, you know, we have, these are not in place yet, but we have basically designs and we're going to build out stuff like multiple canaries. That is, you, if you know what a, what a, a canary system is, where, you know, if you get a, uh, a request from the authorities, from the powers that be, to give you information about a certain account, and, you know, we're within their jurisdiction, they could come and, you know, arrest me if I didn't, right? We have to do it. And you can't, though, declare that you got that notice. But what you can do is declare that you didn't not get a notice. <laughs> I see. And that's what a canary is. So you can legally put a canary up, and if the canary disappears or dies or whatever you want to do, the world knows, oh, my gosh, they've gotten a request. And so uh, we are going to do that, which is, I think most, most of these networks should have it, and they don't. It's kind of silly. And uh, you know, particularly uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook, and, and uh, it's just kind of, kind of bizarre they don't. Um, it's probably purposeful. Yeah, you know that. You know, well, there are reasons. We should talk about the reasons that uh, we're going to do it from multiple levels. We're going to do site wide. We're going to do layer wide. Uh, we're going to do user, so you would know. Oh, they, they had a takedown on the this layer. You know, on the red pills layer, but not on me at least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not takedown. Uh, you know, in a request, whatever those are, and then and then also to do. Um, we've had since the beginning, and we've been experimenting because the economy is extremely hard. Uh, to consider for private layers for, you know, let's say you're a dissonant group in, in uh, Hong Kong, right? That you can't use Google, you can't use certain other tools, you know, and they find ways to communicate, the government finds ways to counter, that we can do, as an example, end-to-end uh, -end encryption for a group like that. That uh, node can be hosted anywhere in the world, and it wouldn't even be in our control. So even if there was uh, a reason that uh, the U.S. government would come in and say that is like, well, we don't have any control over that. It uses it uses our network here, and that's all you know. That's all we can tell you, and it's all legal because you know we couldn't do it otherwise. But but it's useful because in a lot of those cases, those groups really need the tools to, to do what they need to do for liberty's sake. And you know we're trying to find uh, creative, good ways to do that. Um, and we did uh, just add torrent-based video. Now it's not an open feature. We're expecting it'll probably just be for premium users or B2B or you know, special cases to start because it's particularly hard to set up the process. Um, and uh, we're going to work in the mining for it as well so that people who are seeding a decentralized video in a layer that they love, right, or for a, for a brand that they love, that 
they will be rewarded for the you know the compute time network um, that they're using, right? And that way, then doesn't have to worry about scaling streaming video, right? Because we don't want to get into that business. And, and it also it really helps for the uh, anti-censorship feature. So, sorry, that's Din. Uh, Eternal. Eternal is, is funny because we had noticed that we were going to be granted the uh, interchain uh, patent, but we had no idea when. So we, we set out plans, and we had a bunch of different uh, simple ideas, and Eternal was the simplest idea that was easiest to understand for a normal person that actually integrated something that I had been wanting to build since uh, uh, the days at the very beginning of the project, uh, which is the report. And it was also kind of uh, had the potential to market itself, right, because it's tied to social. Um, and so we rolled that out uh, in a week and a half. And I say a week and a half, it was, it was really like uh, five business days and another day and a half, uh, two days uh, the next week. And we had it out just in time for when the uh, patent hit uh, publicly and we were able to announce it to demonstrate the actual live operational interchain that we just got the patent for, right? And that was some of the amazing stuff. And it, some things we think might go away, but we know we're adding new features. Uh, like, say, most recently, we added the ability to, if you, if you have a premium account, you can sign in and just write a long-form text and tweet it, and it'll automatically break it into a thread for you, and it'll automatically uh, sign it cryptographically, and then you know put the whole thing on chain and give you a report for announcements and things like that, because you can do uh, markdown formatting and, and and things, so it's you know it it actually looks like an announcement, even though there's a lot of data around it. Um, and then we had, uh, gosh, we we added the ability. To tweet straight through where it signs a simple tweet. Um, we added the bot, which is, you know, uh, unfortunately not always as reliable because it, you know, we, it's, it's, it's not fully in our control because it's a bot. Um, so, you know, if Twitter decides to, to kill it temporarily, <laughs> they have done before a, a good, good few times. So, but there are a lot of other things coming. There are really interesting stuff that we're going to work into that because, uh, and, and the best side is free. Um, if you want a lot of features, you know, we're going to have, we already have, but uh, we're going to have a lot of features so people will, you know, it'll make it more reasonable to pay for it. And uh, it, it it really though gives you that aspect where it's a known thing that people delete tweets and it's a known thing that, oh, somebody captured it. But the problem is it's so easy to uh, Photoshop those that in, in, in the extreme case, it's a bad thing that that's what people rely on and trust right now. So what we were wanting to do is say, okay, we want to actually capture all this stuff and actually be able to prove that this is really what was there, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's super important to be able to have these tools. And with blockchain and with obviously Dragon Chain giving ease of access to immutability and being able to save these images and tweets on the blockchain, it's very important, especially when, you know, there's a lot of fake news these days. So most of the time, 
the methods that would be used to save information would simply be like an image, like a screenshot of a tweet or a screenshot like an like an Imgur and some something of that nature. But the problem with that is that these images can be doctored. The general public is not going to take any of this stuff, you know, seriously because because of that fact. I mean, you could always claim, ah, it's been doctored, it's been Photoshop, whatever. So it's not a very effective way of you know showing people that these events happened and you also have no time reference because of the fact that these things can be photoshopped so with the blockchain you have a time reference it did happen because the blockchain consensus recognizes that it happened it was saved in a block there's no way to rewrite this information and this is going to allow for a much greater ability at exposing fake news or mistakes that are made in tweets etc yep exactly it and and so we, you know, and when when we add it in there, uh, it it also has the ability, like say, if you're if you're in a uh, a project, you know, um, you have you have some official release, the fact that you can prove this is this is what we said when we said it, right? Um, and so we use that all the time. You know, we we we're using both Den and Eternal in announcements, but um, Eternal is the one, at least right now, that really lets you um, see the metrics. I mean, you you know, you can see how many how many uh, hashes have been applied since that date, and um, you know, it's pretty astounding. And a lot of people don't understand that yet. So we're we're going to add some uh, some some metrics in there on the actual dollar value mm. of the security applied, which I I think that's in the end. I think that is the the real way that people will get it. Right. Um, so speaking about getting it, when do you think businesses, investors, people in general will understand the importance and the tech behind Dragon Chain? Because I've spent a lot of time obviously researching Dragon Chain and understanding it, and it, it makes a lot of sense to me, but for you know a lot of the community, they just don't quite get it, they don't quite understand. So what do you think it's going to take and maybe how long is it going to take? Um, gosh, it, it's, it's really, I think, when they understand the, the capabilities that they, uh, they tend to open their eyes because it will then get them to ask questions. We, we had this at Disney, too, where if you're sitting down in front of a customer um, and you just tell them, oh, here are the use cases in your industry, you'll miss so much because they only consider um, – what they know of that blockchain could be used for um, in their industry. And a lot of times they'll think, oh, for I'm going to tokenize this or I'm going to make a, make a currency. You know, why would I do that? Uh, and or they you know, limit it to, oh, we, we want to improve our payment system, right? Which is fine and great and everything, but you just miss so many things. And when you, when you show them how proof can be managed, and a lot of times it's about risk uh, where we, we're, we're basically tracking the uh their compliance you know so we're, we're tracking that they are uh following whatever procedure is set out for whatever legal reason and uh what it does you know reduce all the costs for for uh maintaining and monitoring that but it also automates all of the evaluations they don't have to go back when someone complains they can they can see every day every minute real time that everything's in order 
and you know, and then when somebody does come in and complain, it's you know to look up and here's here's a report. You know, we can show you we we did what we are under contract to do. That type of thing. So, what do you think is going to be the first industry to really pick up hybrid blockchain technology? We mentioned banks, of course, earlier, but what do you think is really the the best place for hybrid blockchain technology, at least right now, in your opinion? Gosh, I mean, yeah, fintech's the most obvious, and I think it it already has been there. Um, if you're talking about more general utility, I would think it might be for value of use. I would think it would be legal, but for the likelihood, I don't know if it's next because Though they should be next, they uh, you know they're slow to adopt adopt tech like this. I mean, some of them really get it, but um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I would like to see gaming uh, take it not not for the payment reasons, but that's piece of it. Uh, but for the incentive reasons, that is, if you could find a way to incent, you think about it. Everyone that we've spoken to in the gaming world is not here, short a couple of very uh, small uh, new studios that very focused on oh, oh how do i say this incentivizing someone to play your game and for that to spread right how can i make a viral game that is a you know a certain right now is the golden opportunity because there's no competition to do that and you know we've talked a lot uh, to a lot of different groups about it some of them have gotten it some of them haven't and in nearly every case it, it had started with you know oh it's a wallet and it's a coin and we're like no 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 don't think of it like that think of it like this and there have been some remarkable, interesting things come out of that. Gaming is such a huge industry, you know, growing so fast that they have problems with censorship as well and, you know, weird cultural things. And I think a lot of that could be improved if you, you know, you basically uh, modeled an economy right on, you know, on a, a either inside of a game or even inside of a framework of, of games. But that's pretty big. I, and a, a lot of it, the, the real issue is, when you try to get these ideas through all the noise mm-hmm. and, you know, trolls are bad enough, but just the fact that, you know, and we sometimes, we sometimes get sour about it, right? But when you get a, a report coming out, uh, like from a World Economic Forum, where they, they basically say blockchain interop is is the future. This is what's, what's needed. So far, the only uh, uh, headway that's been made has been on Bitcoin and Ethereum you know, uh, those two, between those two, it doesn't exist anywhere. This is not ready at all. And we're like, I'm, I'm okay with them saying that as an industry, but they didn't even cite Dragon Chain. They didn't even consider, I mean, you know, we've been told by very, very large consulting group that we had the only operational interchain. And this was, this was six months ago, so, or maybe eight months ago. So I don't want to say as of right now, that's true. But at the time, you know, they were working with everyone. And we had the only one that was actually uh, operational. And, and I will tell you, the, the reason is because I'm a software architect and because we consider this software first. It's, it's not a blockchain first. I mean, it is software. When somebody comes to us and is like, that's impossible. You can't do that. And we're like, software, dude. I mean, it's, you can do anything with software. So it's, it's just, it's really funny. And the fact that they, they don't mention that means it, there's a huge problem with misinformation and I you know I tend to think uh, a lot of times it's because there is simply too much uh, information out there and because many projects are uh, greatly incentivized to shill massive amounts of information so you, you know you get a lot of flooding of certain projects <clears throat> Tron <laughs> yeah there is something wrong with that right I'll admit. anyway that's a joke um so the, the point though is that we have to find 
as many times as we can ways to cut through all that noise, right? Sometimes we get a lot of flack from it, you know, as if you remember Chad and the rebrand. That was purely, purely modeled to fit crypto twitter right particularly successful there's a lot of hate any publicity is good publicity yes 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 and so so we're you know we're trying constantly to cut through but you do have to know that when we are cutting through we are not cutting through with bs what we're cutting through with is real it's either something we've built that we need people to see and you know and the powers that be aren't going to show it because they're either under the thumb of the banks who don't want any of this to succeed, or well, the blood money and the, the, the old money, or the VCs, which, especially after 2017, you know, they, they really flipped the lid, and they, you know, they lost their shirt because all of the new investment was going into crypto. And I would say, uh, by and large, most of them were legitimate projects, or at least legitimate intent to, you know, to be building things with good teams. Some of them weren't. Um, and it was, you know, if you did your real due diligence, you would know when you were looking at the projects, which was which. So that scared the heck out of them. And so there's a ton of noise. Uh, and I, I think a lot of it is misinformation, purposeful misinformation. Um, but a lot of it is just that there's too much. So, you know, people will parrot what they hear and people will write about the projects that, uh, you know, they know, oh, there's, this is interesting. Um, so, and, and, or the projects they're paid to write. So I want to go ahead and just touch on that for a second. You know, scams in the crypto industry, they're so rampant. It's hard to tell what's legitimate and what's not. And I've talked about this a couple times, a couple episodes back with Shuan Kim of MXC Foundation. Go check out the episode if you want to hear more about scams in the crypto industry. But essentially for most crypto investors, the scam or legitimate companies come down to the token price. And there's not a whole lot of due diligence and they're not even really concerned about the blockchain tech or, or the company driving factors. And one of the reasons could obviously be because of the, how you determine value in crypto assets at this point in, in general anyways. But there are a lot of scams. There are not a lot of working projects or companies, but Dragon Chain is one of the very few companies that is on the list that actually has working products and is a legitimate company. So a lot of what is going around could just be misinformation like you mentioned, but obviously most of the driving factors for crypto investors is token value. And and that's where the buck stops. But turns out you guys are actually up 300%, something of that nature. So bravo on that. Yeah, let's just talk a little bit more about token price and the legitimacy of what you guys do. Right. And, it's, I, and I will tell you, I, I do think that uh, if, uh, I mean, the interesting thing is, and I don't want to go too far into it because I don't want to get in trouble, but the regulators, you know, they, they their, their mission is to make sure people don't get scammed, right? And so they go after... Uh, all the projects, and you know, in particular, there was a, a, a quite a bit of time when crypto exchanges were pretty fast and loose. You could, you know, you could run one uh, in a lot of different places in the world without, you know, much oversight at all. And I would tend that even with the Mt. Gox uh, issue, I would tend to say that I would greatly prefer that to what we have now, which is post the crypto world saying we want regulation. And, and why do they want regulation? They didn't want regulation for the purposes of the technology or for the purposes of the liberty, which is what it is. It's basically um, software <laughs> that has uh, uh, encoded, embedded liberty, right? That's that's what it is. And it, you know, it's, 
I've, I'm a longtime open source guy as well. So you could uh, have a little bit of, you know, Richard Stallman, without people knowing it, it has changed the world that every device that you have, barring your horrible slave labor produced uh, Apple products, is running Linux. Everything. I mean, you have Windows, right? But this is all I'm saying, like your TV, your phone. And so. Yeah, that's a very good point you just made there. Yeah, from the early 90s. And, and that's why I, I liken uh, Torvalds and Satoshi to the, probably the two most important people they maybe the past thousand years. And it's amazing what has happened. Um, so, and, and Satoshi's not done, right? This, this stuff is not. Uh, even gotten past its first major phase, in my opinion. So it's extremely important uh, about that. And the fact that I went through down the checklist, you know, I, I joined a uh, crypto trading uh, group where they basically, you got early access to some of the, the pre, pre-sales and, the, and all that stuff, right? And I was mostly just interested in their, in their discussions. How do they evaluate the token value in advance of the economy being real? Right. You know, Bitcoin's out there, Ethereum's out there, but this new project, you know, and, and a lot of it was based upon supply. A lot of it was based upon the how, you know, how the distribution happens. And we tried to basically fix and the, some of it was experimental. I tried to be part of the missed sale. Um, I couldn't get in because I, I didn't act fast enough. Um, and then so I was right and ready to go with that. And you know, I, there was no way for me to get in a block when I wanted to buy that. I started talking to these guys, and everything we do is modeled after trying to make it as fair as possible and incentivized to, you know, what we wanted, which was to build a network, to build a community, and to, you know, be able to incentivize people to run nodes and, and all of what we now have. So we kept a small supply. We kept a less than 50% went to the team and the organization operations and we had i put it in as a prime fibonacci number for the supply when we rolled out though for the token sale i was like okay i was worried because we came out of disney and so there was that name attached and we had an interesting product that was a platform with a real team in the u.s and we thought okay i don't want to say the whole thing is you know gone in in, uh, a couple of blocks you know so that all the normies either lose their shirt and fees or don't get in or whatever else so I modeled it to say uh, last a full month, and we had we made it so that the number of tokens that were going out, which were fixed, would be priced based upon the total amount of Bitcoin sent in. Right? We, we did a pure market price to make it as fair as possible, and then before it was in the market, which said that was sometimes confusing to people, but it was interesting because unfortunately it kept us from raising as much <laughs> because. It didn't go, uh, there was not a lot of press about it. No one was pushing it because everyone wanted to keep everyone else out. Yeah. Right? They think it was proportional. And and then when it went out, so it when it ended, it ended up being priced at $0.06 cents per token. And I can't remember how many Satoshis. But it was interesting because it was, at least for from my knowledge, the first uh, project that when we started distribution, people immediately put it onto EtherDelta. And the price went up. And, you know, the, the first I saw it, it was at a quarter. And then it was 80 cents. And then there's was a buck and a quarter. And we're like, whoa. And, and that was before it ever got onto, you know, a, a bigger, normal, user-friendly exchange. And in my opinion, the reason for that is that every other project, when the tokens were put out, had a significant portion of the tokens that were given to their buddies or to the team, which were immediately liquidated. 
right? Because a lot of the, you know, this, sometimes the advisors wouldn't really have any interest. It's just a paid, my, my, my face on your page, you give me this much. And so, you know, immediately they would try to sell those before they'd go to the open market and the prices would dump almost every time. Yeah, that sounds like peak 2017. So what we try to do is build in the support to say, look, everyone who came in in that October to November month if you put in one Bitcoin, no matter what the value per token was determined, you would get one Bitcoin worth of dragons. And you knew that you didn't have a different price than anyone else, and it was all clean. It was all very simple. And with that, we were able to basically have you know, the full support. No one would sell it for less than six cents, so it wouldn't dump. So it went up really fast. Then people started FOMOing. And so we get this really weird, I still, to this day, will see someone who say that we were overly shilled as, as being Disney and then trying to claim that we didn't come out of Disney or someone that complains that uh, at that time and now we don't do enough marketing at all because nobody knows about us. So it's a really weird, weird world. Yeah, that was really interesting how all that was playing out. There's a lot of rumors that were going around and people were saying that you guys were shilling Disney even though you weren't. And then there was also the Starbucks rumor that was going around. So there was a lot of rumors that were created by not necessarily the community, but some influencers. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it's interesting. That That's exactly... Uh, when we came out, we, we stated exactly what, and if you look online anywhere we've ever answered it, we tend to copy and paste it. And I, I pretty well know verbally but that, uh, you know, we were, we were a project at Disney, Disney private blockchain platform. We were, you know, we went through the process to get approval to open source. Uh, I proposed and Disney approved the creation of a foundation called IP. And um, we, since completely independently, we are launching a commercial uh, platform. And, and that's what we've said since the beginning. And yet people would say they use it in the parks and <laughs> all this crazy stuff. And it's funny, too, because when we first open sourced it at Disney, they wouldn't let us talk about it. So we couldn't say much. Um, I could interview, but I couldn't say anything about what we were working on at Disney. We had, they asked us to put in the uh, disclaimer that's on Twitter and GitHub that, uh, you know, this mentions Disney and so on. And Disney still actually has the copyright on the open source code, which is funny, at least on the, you know, the stuff that was contemporaneous, the, the early stuff. And gosh, what else? Uh, so we, we are tied. For Starbucks, it's so crazy. We had an advisor uh, from Starbucks on, on, the, on the advisory board. And yes. She's great. Right? She's a brilliant uh, executive. And she had been at Disney. And, you know, I, I tend to think we helped her get uh, a job outside of Disney because she, she used some of her knowledge about what we were building because she was working with us there to talk to people outside. You know, and pay, she used payments uh, systems. And, you know, we had done a lot of stuff with her. Well, we were talking to her. You know, they invited us to a, uh, an internal conference, which you can still see pictures of uh, online. And we uh, gave a, a really, in my opinion, really interesting presentation about what you could use blockchain for and what, you know, the reality of the capabilities. And um, it was really good. And we had, you know, because of that, it's like an internal tech conference. I and mean, Slack was there and you know, Microsoft was there and you know, all, the big, all the big guys and, and us. And we were able to talk to directors of different groups and, you know, they're, they're looking at this and how can they use that. And it was all great. And we had ongoing discussions still happening. We had reached all the way up to the top, right, where, you know, if word needed to come in. Now, I can't tell you exactly because, you know, I wasn't there, but something happened where uh, after some people in our community saw that and saw that we'd spoken there, 
they heard whatever they heard through Rumorville, started to post stuff. And it just, you know, kind of went wild pretty fast. And we're like, we, we can't say we aren't because we can't say we are. And we can't, you know, it's like it becomes a really hairy situation. For us, we could kind of tamper down and just say, you know, whatever. But it was really frustrating because from the top, our person on the inside, you know, got you know, talking to it, right? It's like, what is this? Why is that? You know, and so she pulled out of uh, being an advisor at one point, and then she came back in with the foundation, and, you know, she's since moved on, but it, it was, like, it was very unfortunate, because she was awesome, she was totally on board, she, she was uh, very helpful as an advisor, but, and it wasn't the community's fault, people now say, oh, I blamed the community for losing that, and it's like, no, that's not what I said, all I said is, it's good if you guys don't try to FOMO about stuff that you don't know anything about, if, if, if we have something we're going to tell you, right, and if we can, you know, there are cases we, we can't, right? And it's it's just a, a funny thing because uh, our community is amazing. I, I think never before have I been involved in any project, even as a, a contributor, that has some of the passion that these people have and um, some of the, uh, you know, the just put in legwork to do stuff. And it's really interesting. We get, we've had, you know, people from all over the place and, you know, whenever I go somewhere, I, I tend to meet someone who either has been in or knows somebody that, uh, you know, something with Dragon Chain. So it's really interesting. Yeah, so basically we have a, a, a case of crucifixion for a legitimate company with these rumors and, and kind of the sentiment for at least influencers, probably because they got, you know, they probably bought the top at $5 or something around that nature. That's too bad. You know, that happens to people. But you know, there are also companies or actually rather projects that are hyped to disbelief. And one of those projects is obviously Tron, Justin Sun, the CEO, they hype the crap out of Tron, and they just purchase new companies to hype new tokens on those companies and then keep repeating the cycle. So they did the same thing with BitTorrent where they bought the company, got a token, raised a bunch of money on it. And then of course, the token price collapsed which i knew would happen and i think most people did well i say most people but apparently there's there's some people who didn't get the memo because they invested in it and of course then they bought d live and now they're gonna they're gonna pump that token on d live and they're just gonna keep repeating the process and just keep pumping their token with actually like no actual use case and that's the kind of thing that exists in cryptocurrency and then you know you have companies like yourself where you're simply crucified for apps you know for following the rules you know you you could not not say that you were affiliated with disney you could not say that you were affiliated with disney and same thing with starbucks so really you were put in a position that was just really difficult you couldn't navigate out of it and and the community blames you for that problem that is absolutely insane to me i know that the token price the company itself is going to do fine regardless but i just think it's ridiculous that the the community crucified you guys for doing what you were supposed to do essentially so yeah that's just kind of my my spiel on that so it, it's detrimental because it makes it makes it harder for uh, anyone who wants to build anything real i mean when you're when you have tron as the interface to to people like and i and i'm not a fan of buffett don't like buffett but Geez, come on, we, we could have a better uh, ambassador from our industry. Oh, absolutely. Anybody's better than Justin Sun. I guarantee you could convince him of value when applied correctly and in a way that isn't a threat to him. Because that's what, obviously, a lot of it's emotional uh, response. So it doesn't help. And uh, yeah, and we've, we've even spoken to some of the BitTorrent people about how much a mess 
that was, right? That it was, and that that actually would be an amazing, amazing use case. And that's why we're <laughs> we're in Den. We're gonna we're gonna take a crack at it. Well, yeah, I mean, Dragon Chain could easily find so many more use cases than Tron ever could because the purpose of buying these companies, BitTorrent, DLive, Steam, is not to actually find ways to create an economy, but it's more so to just pump tokens. That's what it's about. So it's really sad that that's the way cryptocurrency is at this point, but that's kind of a summary on all this stuff. And we're gonna go ahead and just wrap it up now. So if you would, let's just go ahead and get some of the important work that you guys are highlighting right now and and go ahead and tell us where they can find more information about you guys. Where's your social media at? And so, yeah, go ahead and take it away. Gosh, it's probably too much uh, to talk about quickly. I mean, we have been spinning off as its own entity uh, and a lot a lot of the things uh, kicking off for real. I mean, it's a, it's a production system, but it's uh, a lot of features going to kick in in the next couple of months and a lot of the value. And then we're going to uh, do something special with the identity system that we built, a decentralized identity that's been operational for two years. And, you know, we're just now getting uh, productized and having a, you know, a couple of partners that are, that are building stuff out. And then the core platform itself, I mean, you know, we did a, a huge scalability demonstration this year and did a quarter of a billion transactions in 24 hours. You know, we're, we're trying to, to, to hit all of the, the pieces to, to really get it to a point where it becomes indispensable, right? When a, when a company realizes that they really can't live without, you know, just adding that one extra piece to their process, which would be, you know, Dragon Chain and, a, you know, blockchain capability. So right. there's a lot more, but, uh, you know, high level. If they go to dragonchain.com, right, uh, keep everything pretty well updated there. The other would be to go to DIN, and it's at DIN.social. So if you go there, sign up for a new account, participate in making new layers, you can participate in, you know, building out a, a larger community. And uh, that's where we're tending to focus all of our, all our updates and news now. Um, and discussion, trying to pull away from Telegram so we can have a better stateful, you know, a way to point to the discussion that's already happened, you know, when somebody new comes in. Wow. So, yeah, we, we covered a lot of information. Also, if you want to go find them on Twitter, it's at Dragon Chain Gang as well. And, yeah, I mean, we, we covered the Starbucks rumor. We covered the Disney whole fiasco. It was a great conversation. A lot of great information in this in this episode. So, and as you know, I 100% believe in you guys in the company and you personally. I know that the company is going to succeed simply based on the information that I know and that I've been able to gather over the years. So would you let everybody know what your personal Twitter at name is as well if they want to follow you? It's uh, Jojo Row with uh, zeros. So it's J zero J zero R zero. All right, Joe. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been awesome having you on the show. I mean, we talked about tons of information and we'll probably have to have you back on at some point, you know, maybe for an hour long conversation about censorship. Oh, yes. We should do that. It'd be awesome. Thanks again for coming on, Joe. I will talk to everybody in the next episode. Hey, thanks a bunch. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Modern Markets Podcast with your host, Titan. Don't forget to reach out to us. Some of the best ideas we get are from our listeners. And sign up for our free newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. We tackle some of the hardest hitting stories in banking, fintech, and decentralized payment systems.